Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Introvert Theater Podcast. This is Sergio yet again. Today we're going to talk about uh, the film Prometheus. This is one that I like to watch pretty regularly. Now, as a fan of the Alien franchise, I thought this movie in particular was a breath of fresh air. Even though director Ridley Scott said this would not be an Alien movie per se, it was a return to science fiction for him. It was said that it would tie the original film, or it would tie into the original film in a way, and I think it does. Now, there are several questions left unanswered, and even after a second prequel film titled Alien Covenant, which was released in 2017, which was about five years after the release of Prometheus. Now, this film has one of my favorite openings of any film to date. It starts with some amazing shots of a desolate planet and its various landscapes set to this beautiful score by Mark uh, Streitenfeld. We see an alien being left behind atop a waterfall as his spacecraft makes its way above the clouds. He disrobes and removes a black goo from its metal container, and he drinks it. His body afterwards begins to decay and sort of rot away, and he falls into the water below and dissolves leaving behind traces of his DNA, which then recombined and, and form a new life. We later find that this, this engineer, as we'll come to know them, was responsible for creating life on Earth. Now, this discovery is made by archaeologist Dr. Elizabeth Shaw and her partner, Charlie Holloway. In the Isle of Scotland in the year 2089, they uncover hieroglyphs that are at least 35,000 years old by that point. Uh, depicting early man's interactions with these so-called engineers. In the ancient picture, the aliens are pointing at a star system, and the two archaeologists take that to mean that these creatures want to be found. Four years later, they embark on a journey to find their makers aboard the ship the Prometheus, where they are all in cryosleep with a team of other scientists. Their pods watched over by an android named David, who seems to have an ulterior motive which becomes known later in the film. When the crew members are awoken, they watch a hollow cube recording of Professor Wayland, who is basically funding this excursion and who indicates in the recording that he has passed away by this point and is leaving his daughter in charge. They land on the planet LV-223, which is not to be confused with LV-426 from the original Alien film. Here, they find a hollowed-out hollowed cavern and discover remnants of an alien civilization as they see these larger-than-life mummified bodies strewn about the cavern, a room with mosaics, mosaics depicting the worship of um, what looked to be a very familiar, let's say, alien creature, a room full of metallic canisters, and ultimately find that this cavern is a spacecraft that has remained dormant for who knows how long. They find the decapitated head, head of an engineer and bring it back to the Prometheus for sample analysis. In doing so, they mess with the craft's biology and chaos ensues as the crew searches for answers to why they were made and essentially what our purpose is as humans. It's a really unique approach to the Alien franchise and a welcome one. I, I mentioned earlier that it was a breath of fresh, of fresh air in many ways, 
and I was instantly hooked from the very beginning of the film. I think Shaw, played by Numi Rapace, is the most interesting of the characters and strongest without a doubt. Early in the film during cryosleep, we find that David monitors her dreams via a device or a helmet that he wears that enables him to do so. In her dream, we, f we see a conversation that is seemingly, I guess, I, that seemingly took place in the past um, with her father. It, it appears that they were in South Africa, and she asks her father, uh, what happens when we die as a funeral possession, procession passes? He tells her that we all go to heaven and explains that it's a different concept to different people of different cultures. He also explains that he believes this concept because he chooses to. From that point on, she wears a cross that was given to her by him around her neck at all times and is heavily invested in the mission, despite knowing that, you know, she was engineered by an alien species. She feels that if they made her, then some sort of divine being must have made them. So she refuses to give up on her beliefs, despite all this. Now her partner, Charlie, played by Logan Marshall Green, is of the same mindset, or at least a similar mindset, but he becomes a bit disheartened when he discovers the engineers, at least up to this point and to his knowledge, have been wiped out. He feels cheated and that he simply can't get the answers he came for. He even states that he feels abandoned by the engineers. Now, when Shaw tells him that humans share the same DNA with the engineers, he, be he begins to question the concept of creation and refers to it as, quote-unquote, nothing special if anyone can do it. Regarding David, played by Michael Fassbender, or Fassbender, he's the most advanced android for the time and seemingly acts on independent thought and free will. I want to talk about the opening scene from... It's this movie's prequel, or I'm sorry, this movie's sequel, Alien Covenant, for a brief moment, because it, oddly enough, serves as a prelude to Prometheus, in that we see David and his creator, Peter Wayland, um, taking in a fairly deep discussion on life. Wayland says that he refuses to believe that mankind is a random byproduct of molecular circumstance, in his words. He feels that there's more, and his intention is to find out what that is exactly. David takes a moment to point out that in Wayland spending the time to find his creator, David has already found his. He is, in fact, looking directly at him and points out that Wayland will eventually die and David will outlive him. This slightly angers Peter, and he makes David get up and bring him a cup of tea that's positioned right next to him. It's a subtle thing, but it's it's a power play by Wayland to reinforce that at that particular point in time, what he says goes and kind of tries to take the steam out of David's observation. This scene alone tells us everything we need to know, to know about David, and I wish it had been incorporated in this film rather than its lesser sequel, but that's neither here nor there, right? Next, we'll talk about Meredith Vickers, played by Charlize Theron. She's the daughter of Wayland and feels like a bit of an afterthought as David is considered the closest thing Wayland has to a son. 
She's also a character with a bit of an ulterior motive as well. She has her own room aboard the Prometheus that is equipped to keep her alive if need be, and is sort of an escape pod in itself. She has a medical pod in her room that can perform any type of surgery. She's very militant, I guess, in certain ways, but is also protective of her crew in other ways, no matter how harsh you know, she may seem at times. What we find is that within the metallic canisters is the same or at least a similar variant of the black liquid that the engineer in the beginning of the film drank. We find that it can take control of and replicate its host as it takes the form of giant worms and even dead crew members at certain points throughout the film. Now eventually we find that Wayland is still alive and stowed aboard the ship with only David knowing and communicating with him. This leads to him suiting up and going to the empty spacecraft with the remaining team to communicate directly with an engineer who they found previously was in cryosleep. When the giant awakens, David offers to translate, as he had been learning an ancient or a dead language during the time that everyone else was in cryosleep. Wayland asks David to explain to the engineer why they've come. Shaw wants David to find out what's in the engineer's cargo or those metallic canisters that I had mentioned earlier. One of the crew members silences her by hitting her in the gut with his gun. David translates why he and Waylon have arrived, and the engineer snaps David's head, head off and bashes Waylon across the face with it. Shaw warns Vickers and Janik, who is the captain of the ship, of the engineer's intent to drop the canisters down to Earth to kill off everyone and rebuild. Now, I won't spoil what comes to pass, but I will say that I wholeheartedly enjoy this film and wish that its successor expanded on a lot of these ideas rather than be relegated to sort of a sci-fi horror flick. I feel like the themes explored in Prometheus, such as creationism versus evolution and faith versus science, really kind of help propel this film into a league of its own and almost separates it at great lengths from the Alien franchise. This works to its strengths in that it's it really kind of stands on its own to feed, and I feel, at least in my opinion, that it's equally as great as the original Alien film. If we take the title into consideration, in Greek mythology, Prometheus is known as the god of fire and is known for creating humans. He also stole fire and gave it to humanity to help kickstart the, the civilization. Now, compared to this film, I suppose we could say that Wayland's scheme is to steal from the engineers. It's more of an implication in the film, as it exists currently, that Wayland is um, hoping to obtain the gift of immortality from the engineers. Now, this idea is confirmed in the special features to the film, in which we find that bits of dialogue had been cut out where Wayland uh, directly asks David to flat out tell the engineer that they are there to be granted, or I guess granted a prolonged life. The engineer in that scene asks why he feels he deserves that he's entitled to it, and proceeds to attack them both, um, the same way that it kind of plays out in the film. So, what exactly makes this an alien prequel? There's a bit that I skipped over with regard to the elements that are sort of um, 
or that sort of parallel to Ripley's experience in the first Alien film. I did that by intention because what's in Prometheus is different enough to serve as a precursor to what eventually leads to what we know as facehuggers and xenomorphs as we come to know them. For example, there are two crew members that get left behind in the initial expedition in Prometheus and come upon two giant worm-like creatures that have taken a swim in that black goo that was oozing out of the metallic containers. They attack, and one of them forces themselves onto one of the victims and crew members, and it's such a visceral and just unexpected experience that it is literally jaw-dropping in a way that in the way that it takes place, and it mirrors the suggestive nature of the facehugger. Then we, um, we get a scene where Shaw undergoes surgery to her abdominal area to remove a quickly growing embryo within her using the med pod that I mentioned earlier. It's through this scene that we find the pod had been calibrated for males only, which is why it could not perform a cesarean, and she had to opt for a, a mass removal instead. And so right there we can assume by this scene alone that all is not right with the mission, and we know for certain that Wayland is potentially still alive um, due to the pod's settings. Now that cesarean scene is uneasy to watch, and it's kind of harrowing in its own right, especially after seeing what's removed from her stomach. I left these details out until now because they're really an afterthought when all is said and done. And it's nice to experience a movie in this franchise in particular that didn't really rely on what was established beforehand so it doesn't feel, I guess, redundant. I do wish this had been the only prequel, and it might as well have been because we're dealing with a ship that looks just like the one our protagonists find in the original film on a similarly named planet, LV-426, and... There's an extra scene before the credits in this film, Prometheus, that introduces us to a variation of H.R. Giger's original design for the creature. Hell, we even get to see the engineer don the helmet and board the control panel for the ship, which is also found by the crew of the original Alien film. Up until Prometheus, this creature, this depiction, had been referred to as the space jockey. Now, why on earth, Scott or Ridley Scott, decided to follow up with Alien Covenant and kill off Shaw, is beyond me. This franchise, however, is one that I just cannot hate because of the creature and uniqueness of each entry, good or bad. I appreciate Prometheus for what it is and serves as enough information for me to, to be a prequel that is worth the effort and watching on multiple occasions. That said, I think this is a good place to stop, and next week I'll be talking about a much smaller film titled What's Eating Gilbert Grape, starring Johnny Depp and Leonardo DiCaprio. The week after will be another Let's Talk, where I'll be discussing what will be my 10th episode, and just kind of reflect on the podcast. So to those listening, I hope you have a great day, and again, thanks for listening, and until next time.